This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark L. Sesser. And for a full year, we've been looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we come now to week 47 out of 52, when Jesus is crucified. This is a pivotal moment in the history of faith, and I would say even of the world. The, the life of Jesus is, is where it's at. I mean, our, the year that we're in is based upon his birth, a miscalculation by a few years, but it's based upon that. As we understand our faith as followers of Christ, it's his crucifixion where our lives have been forever changed and our eternity forever changed if we put our faith in him. So we are taking a look at that now. Let me just ask you as we, as we start here, because I'm kind of curious about this. As as you were growing up and really kind of outside of the Christian community and came to faith a little bit later in your life, um, do, you, do you remember, like, what were your early thoughts about the cross? Because South Louisiana, New Orleans, they got a lot of crosses you know, <laughs> around there. And you saw, you would see the cross certainly in a number of places. And I just wanted to know, like, I'm curious from if you have any memory, like you thought about his death or the crucifixion. And if, and if you, any, any thoughts come to your mind on that? Yeah. Crazy enough. Uh, I don't think I really thought much about it. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, crosses uh, throughout South Louisiana. Um, you know, there's a, a huge, uh, Roman Catholic presence and, and growing up as a young child, uh, you know, go, well for Easter and Christmas, at least, uh, going to mass and seeing, uh, you know, displayed, um, this image of Jesus upon the cross. And yet, oddly enough, I don't think I ever thought that much about it. I thought much more about the church than I ever did in considering Jesus on the cross. What do you mean by that? I mean, I, I looked at the church uh, through the lens of, um, honestly, in many ways, through the lens of brokenness. I, I had this impression of Christianity uh, that Christians uh, at their core were all, you know, it's the common stereotype. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. Um, I saw the church as a is a an organization, an institution that you know sometimes potentially marginalized people. I, I saw the church through the lens of they're just a bunch of money grabbers, you know, all they want. They're manipulating uh, the flock to uh, fleece them of money, and so that's a lot of times the the way that I envisioned the church without ever really giving much thought to the cross itself, which seems odd, you know, as I reflect back on it, it seems really odd to me. And maybe part of that is, is that, you know, from the age of probably about 10 or 11 until I was 18, I didn't step foot in a church. And so maybe that's a part of it was that in my more uh, formative years where I would have begun to like, really, I think, consciously reflect on certain things um, that wasn't really in front of me. And so maybe that's part of it, but but the church always seemed to be present in essence. And so I always 
thought of Christianity through the lens of the church or my ill-gotten misperception of, of the church and its people rather than ever really reflecting upon uh, the image of Jesus nailed to the cross. And it's very interesting as I listen to your, your story, and it makes me wonder about the best way for believers to share faith in Christ to others. And if, if, it's, if your story, if it's, it's a one-story anecdotal story, perhaps, um, but maybe it's representative of many people who are sort of outside the faith, that they have a view of the church as an institution as opposed to those who are carrying the message of Christ's life and death yeah. and resurrection into the world. So. Yeah, and I, and I think to that end, I, I saw the church through the lens of, you know, these are the folks that want to, uh, in essence, uh, c- control the moral ethic of society. And so I saw the church through the, through the lens of these folks are just throwing a bunch of don'ts. Like, these are the things that you should not do um, in life. And that that's kind of the perception I had of, of the church rather than seeing uh the in essence the extravagant love of Christ. Now you know some of my story, so you know that one of the things that really drew me uh, to Christ, outside of the theology of the cross, which I, I did ultimately um, come in contact. The, the idea of justifying grace really captivated me uh, when I first heard of it when I was about eighteen or nineteen. Just absolutely, the thought of it captivated uh, my heart, um, and then seeing in essence that the nature of that love lived out through these, uh, through these Christians that I had encountered some of the most generous, extravagantly generous, loving human beings that I had ever encountered in my life, which cut against every stereotype I ever had of Christians. And so I had this, this beautiful theology of justifying grace matched with this extravagant love of, of these Christian folk. And it began to it, it caused me then to to question my understanding of of who Jesus was, of who of what the church as itself uh, is, and then it, it caused me to press in uh, into the questions that I had remaining. Which, as I've shared before, my 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 main barrier at that point then was the the idea that that Jesus physically walked out of uh, the tomb. Over in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. And in that same book, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That the crucified Jesus, that the message of the cross is central to the Christian faith. And there are other aspects of that. I mean, the, the resurrection, the ascension, and so much, you know, that we looked at the birth narrative when we began this podcast so many weeks ago. But it is the pivotal message of the cross and that justifying grace that you speak of that we must come to grips with. Well, let's take a look at the story. I'm in John 19 today, John 19. And we're going to pick it up at verse 16 because last time we left it off where Jesus was on trial with a variety of people, finally in the hands of Pontius Pilate. And in John 19, verse 16, finally Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. 
Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. All four Gospels, of course, tell this story and add different uh, levels of detail to it. But here's Jesus hanging there between two thieves and dying a criminal's death. I mean, they, they didn't do crucifixion for just anybody. It wasn't being done for everybody that committed every crime in the world. This was for the worst of the worst. And Jesus got the ultimate punishment. We know that the crucifixion was a slow death, painful death, asphyxiating death that would that would come upon people. And so there he was, nailed to a cross about nine in the morning, hung there till three in the afternoon. And for those six hours, he bore our sins. He he became sin for us, scripture says, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a it's an interesting thought to me, Ben, that not only did he he didn't just like take on our sins because I know sometimes we have some I like some of these traditions where we'll take sins and nail them to a wooden cross and they represent sort of giving them over to Jesus and I I don't think those are those are great symbols of us releasing things to Christ but he didn't it wasn't like we pinned them to him the Bible says he became sin this man who was sinless actually became all the sins of all the world, past, present, and future, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Yeah, and so when I look at, I interpret uh, Gethsemane, the, the prayer there, through that lens as well. And so as Jesus is praying, uh, Father, may this cup pass from me. A lot of times we hyper-focus on the physical, uh, physical horror that Jesus was going to suffer but in taking on our sin, and, and I can't, I couldn't begin to conceptualize this or put it into to adequate words, but in taking on our sin, Jesus then offers himself to be forsaken that we would never be forsaken. He tastes of this separation between himself and the Father. How that plays out in that, in the, 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 the triune God, I, I do not understand. I can't begin to comprehend, but Jesus tastes of that. And the real, immeasurable, inexplicable terror of the cross, a terror that none of us can even begin to fathom, comes as Jesus tastes of that separation, endures that wrath. And as, as you know, Paul says that you, point, you pointed to this, but in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that Jesus would willingly in, in essence, be clothed with the wretchedness of our, our sin and experience the totality of that, that we, and, and die to sin on our behalf, that we ourselves would, would come to experience his righteousness, that we would be clothed in his righteousness. It is absolutely mind-boggling the nature of that love. The nature of that love cannot even, you just look at it and marvel at it because you really can't put it into words, because there is no example of love present on earth that even begins to capture the love of Christ, uh, the love of God revealed to us at the cross. And what grieves my heart is when 
so many people, this has been true for all the ages, it's true still today, but so many people who are self-proclaimed followers of Christ will minimize what you just said, and, and they'll turn being a follower of Jesus into good works, doing good things. If you take care of the poor, if you look after your own sin life, if you avoid doing the wrong things, like a lot, a lot of those, like those who rail against the concept that there's no list, make lists of right. the way that we can sort of earn our way to God, and that is nowhere in Scripture. It, it just doesn't exist. No, and if we could merit or earn our way to God, that nullifies the need for the cross completely and utterly nullifies the need for the cross. The, the suffering that Christ endured was not as simply as some try to make it. Well, he's just, this is our example. You know, the whole idea that we find salvation by living out the example of Jesus, by caring for the poor, by doing X, Y, and Z, then by, by following his example, then we, we come to taste of relationship uh, with God. What an absolute, just garbage pile of falsehood. I mean, and it grieves, like you said, it grieves your heart to hear that because at that point, you're minimizing what Jesus actually willingly endured and yielded himself to. You're minimizing the nature of God's love toward us. I mean, and you're minimizing ultimately the salvation that Jesus has secured on our behalf. Um, and, and again, to just reiterate, if there's a means to merit God's affections, to, to earn God's love, then the, the, there is no point to the cross itself. It is meaningless suffering. And I know some, somebody will respond, well, it's not meaningless because, you know, he exemplified the sacrificial nature. And I'm like, yeah, but you're absolutely stripping the, the meaning of the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah let's, let's get this straight. The crucifixion is not an object lesson. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, this calendar year, 2022, both my dad and mom have died. Uh, my dad back in January, my mom very recently. And they were amazing people. They were tremendous human beings. Did all kinds of good things. Were loving. They they didn't fight with each other. I mean, I literally, literally didn't see that when I was growing up. I didn't even know what it was, was like to have parents that were, you know, in these knockdown drag out type of things. But that's not why I believe they're in heaven. I believe they are in heaven today because they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified for their sins, which I'm sure were many, like all of us. And so this this moment of his crucifixion, let's never water it down. Let's never minimize it and turn it into a children's sermon, an object lesson, a here, well, here a sort of a moralistic. Look at what Jesus did, and we should do the same kind of thing by sacrificing in our own lives. It is not that. He paid for our sins. Yeah, and, and the Apostle Paul, somebody asked me the other day, what, what are uh, the essentials? You know, when 
any conversation about Wesley talks about what are the, you know the essentials and like what are the like these non-negotiable essentials and while those non-negotiable essentials extend beyond that to the authority of God's word uh, over the life of of the follower of Christ as it reveals to us what it is to live into that love that we've received you know having believed in Christ the spirit moves in us to transform us to to lead us and guide us into a life that reflects Christ that reflects his kingdom ethic uh, to the world both in <clears throat> in love truth and holiness but the apostle paul says in 1 corinthians 15 and, and it's like this short blip of gospel message what and and everything flows out of this everything that we believe flows out of this but this is a non-negotiable like we talk about greenbaum's lines in the concrete this is one of those lines in the concrete there are others but this is a, a an essential line in the concrete for what I received, I passed on to you, and this is from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then, you know, it goes on to say after that, he appeared to more than 500 uh, of the brothers. And so the essential... Uh, nature of what Christ has come to to do in dying for our sins. That is a line in the concrete for Christian theology. You don't agree with that. You have no business as a pastor ministering in a church. And if you don't agree with that, you're just simply not a follower of Jesus Christ. Dude, I think you're preaching now. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Doug and I needed it. <laughs> All right. There you go. Now let's 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 just uh wrap this up with looking at the actual moment of his death. And to do so, I'd like to look at all four gospels. I don't know if we've done that too much, maybe not at all, in this year of podcasts, but I want to get the perspective of all four of them as they speak about the moment of his death. There's much more in these chapters. Listeners can go and and do their own work and examine that. But let's take a look. First, I'll, I'll just go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Let's go over to Mark chapter 15. Some similar pieces, 
but some a little different. Listen for some differences. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Let's look at his crucifixion from the eyes of Luke in Luke 23. It was about noon. I'm sorry, Luke 23, verse 44. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And then finally, in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Ben, as you, as you heard this, these, the four Gospels presenting the moment of Jesus' death, what strikes you? So I am, I'm absolutely struck by that. His persistent yielding himself to death, his persistent yielding himself to the cross, you know, Jesus who could have, you know, called down legions of angels to rescue him, to save him. And yet he gives himself over to the cross for my sake, for your sake, for Doug's sake, for the sake of the world. And, and to see that the nature of that love played out in that moment, um, even as the crowd persistently mocks him and Jesus cries out, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus' cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which, yes, draws us immediately to Psalm 22, which is a song, a psalm of triumph. Um, and yet Jesus tastes this forsakenness. He tastes the wrath of God. He gives himself over to that, that we ourselves would never be forsaken. To know that through Christ we are bound up in the covenantal love of God and that we are assured in that 
that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Um, that's just a, a piece and a part of uh, what comes to my mind and, and speaks into my heart as I as I consider uh, as I consider that this this piece of him on the cross as he's giving himself over to death. Yeah, that's good. I, I have a sense that there may be someone listening today who is ready to receive that truth that that Christ promises not to leave us his redemptive work that he redeems us from our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, that his death on the cross, you might be listening, is for you. And if you would like to take this moment to receive Christ in in your own life, I'm just going to offer a prayer, and you can pray this along with me and ask him to be the Savior of your life as well. So let's just uh, take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much for what you've done for us. And I believe that you sent Jesus Christ, your only Son, as a representation of that love. Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life, and yet you became our sin. So today I accept that truth and offer myself to you. My brokenness, my sinfulness, all of who I am, I offer it to you and ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would save me from myself, and that you would give me the promise of eternal life. I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit upon me and in me to equip me to live that kind of life, a life fully devoted to you because of your gift to me of my eternal salvation. I dedicate the rest of this life on earth to following and serving you completely. Thank you for loving me. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Any of you who are listening who, who said that prayer along with me and, and made it yours, I encourage you to find somebody who is a follower of Jesus and share that with them and tell them that you want to walk alongside them or them to walk alongside you and you're ready to grow in the faith and you're ready to commit your life to serving him forever and ever because of what he has done for you. Then next time we'll be looking at a couple days later, and that was the resurrection of Jesus, which we represent, we celebrate, that is, on Easter every year when Jesus raised from the dead. In the meantime, if you folks would like to learn a little bit more and and go a little bit deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link, and just Go deep right now. We're, we're closing down on this, but go deep in, in your life with what God has done for us and spend some significant time in this part of the Gospels where Jesus gives his life for us and has raised a new life for us. Until then, may God bless.